Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, May 27, 2018. My name's Leah M. I'm your moderator this morning. The share ID numbers for Friday, May 25, 2018, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11460. That's 11,460. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11461. That's 11,461. Today, A Vision for You presents Step 9 from the viewpoint of both victim and victimizer. Step 9 made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. OA stands for the proposition that the 12 steps give us freedom from the bondage of our disease, compulsive overeating. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating. Steps 1 through 3 put us in the right relationship with our higher power, a relationship where now our higher power, not us, is to be the director. Steps 4 through 7 puts us in the right relationship with ourselves. In steps 4 through 7, we could see how character defects, shortcomings, blocked us from this higher power. Now steps 8 and 9 give us an opportunity to live in harmony with others and to be rid of the fear, guilt, remorse, and shame that we might have felt in the past. Bill Wilson in the AA 12 and 12 writes, Good judgment, a careful sense of timing, courage, and prudence. These are the qualities we shall need when we take step nine. Some amends are simple and straightforward. If we skipped out on our debts, we repay them. If we stole money, we repay that too. If we damaged a car, we repair it. If we ruin somebody's reputation by telling lies, we go to those whom we told the lies to and tell the truth, even if it ruins our own reputation. But what about the difficult, more complex amends? Specifically, what about situations which involve sexual, emotional, or physical abuse? How do we handle those? Do victims owe any amends? What is the big book's perspective on these matters? Joining us today to help shed some light on this important topic is Lori C., a recovered compulsive overeater from Canada. Lori is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, such a generous and helpful spirit, carrying the message of recovery to those who still suffer. Welcome to the line, Lori C. Thank you. Am I, you can hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, good. Well, it's a privilege to be uh, on a vision for you, a special edition. I want to thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm dealing with a very, very difficult and emotional topic, and it's one that I want to approach very gingerly, very lightly. Um, although I suffered the kind of humiliation that people who are quite overweight in their childhood suffer, um, I, I have never suffered the difficult abuses that members of our program have suffered. I take my, um, my lead from friends of mine, people I've sponsored and other friends within the program 
who have in fact suffered those abuses and as well some of the experience I've had in, uh, in, in interviewing many, many people um, uh, who have suffered uh, severe sexual and physical abuse and, and how they have handled it or not handled it as the case may be. Um, and I don't want to be thought of as an expert in this area. Moreover, because the big book is written in a certain way and was written at a certain time and by certain kinds of people, the big book itself does not explicitly deal with some of the subjects, uh, some of the things that I'll be dealing with. And I want to make really sure that people understand that this is an interpretation and it's how I come to it through the study of the big book. I think it's in the big book, but it's not discussed explicitly. The big book was basically written, well, written by mostly by one man, Bill Wilson, but agreed to by approximately 100 recovered people, 99% of whom were men, uh, and the vast, vast, vast majority of whom were people who had done bad things in their life as a result, in their lives as a result of their, of their severe alcoholism. And uh, that was their perspective. Um, they foresaw that other people, other kinds of drinkers uh, could become part of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. They reached out, to, in, in a sense, the invitation to, to women, to young people, to people who had not yet done the most horrible things, but they still had a perspective. And I, I, in order for me to sort of discuss the issue of the victim rather than the victimizer, and what kind of amends might be owed by a victim, my victim, uh, I need to start at the discussion that precedes step three, found on uh, pages uh, 60 to uh, 63. Um, step three, as I've been taught, is basically only a decision. It is the saying of the step three prayer, um, but the, the pages of pages 60 to 63 are the description of what it means and what we uh, are the description of what it means to have our will and our lives turned over to the care of God as we understood God. And that, um, that discussion will be very important when we get to a discussion of being a victim and what kind of amends are owed. Um, so just very briefly, I won't, I won't take a long time on this, but the big book, describes on pages 60 to 63 our basic problem, which is that we are selfish. And the word selfish or selfish is clearly in the big book defined more broadly than it is in a dictionary. In a dictionary, selfish is wanting things for my own happiness, my own good, for what I want out of life. It's, it's, it's a bad concept. It's, it's morally uh, bad because we're thinking of ourselves not of other people, of our own wants and needs. The big book, the word selfish uh, is really broader and it's described in all kinds of ways. Wanting to be the actor, wanting to be the director and not just the actor in, in a production. And uh, your motives may be entirely good in wanting to have the production go well, and, but it's still your wish to be in charge. Selfish in the big book is basically wanting to be in charge regardless of the motivation. It may be the best motivation in the world. It may be the worst, or it's probably, uh, it's often a mixture, but it could be the best motivation in the world. For instance, not wanting a tragedy to have occurred, not wanting something bad 
that either happened to you or to other people to have occurred would be considered to be selfish from the big book point of view. It would, and, and that's, that's a use of the word that is really difficult to, to, to accept at times because we're so used to the word selfish as, you know, I want, I want my food when I want it or I, I want to win the lottery or something like that. But in the big book, the word selfish is used that broadly to mean I don't want tragedies to have occurred. I want to play God. That's really what selfish means. That's why sometimes it helps to say self-ish or to use uh, other um, uh, words like self-willed uh, rather than selfish. But there's no question in the discussions of page 60 to 62, especially, that the word selfish has a broad meaning. I say that because when we get to step four, it's very important to understand the word selfish. So that's the pages from 60 to 60, well, really 60 to 62, uh, the end of 62. Um, and I, I wanted to discuss that for the moment. Then we come to step four. And in step four, uh, we, we are using the big book way. And some, I know that many people use the forms that were um, uh, d- drawn up by an AA or in Winnipeg uh, that are available on oabigbook.info. Uh, I use them, but I've sort of memorized them. And basically, they're, they're straight from the big book. So I don't have to refer to the forms as much as, as to discuss the concept. In step four, we put down our resentments on the first piece of paper. And those resentments, again, the big book often uses or occasionally uses the word anger to refer to a resentment. But from an OA perspective, and from my experience, the experience of thousands of people, uh, uh, a resentment is beyond just something we're angry at. I I mean, I was never angry before I joined this program. I was sad. I was self-pitying. But anger was something I would never own up to. I, I won't disagree that, I, that, I, that in my subconscious I was angry. And if I look back, I, I had some angers. But there was this concept of, uh, oh, no, 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 no anger. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not good enough to be angry. I, I, it's hard to explain it, but sort of like I don't deserve to be angry. I, I can just be sad. Um, so if we write down our resentment, uh, we would write down not only the things that bother us that any objective observer would agree should bother us, and, and I would certainly include any abuse that one suffered at the hands of any person, uh, or any any harms that were done to other people as well. I mean, although, as I say, I, I, I uh, have, was not abused um, sexually or physically, um, yeah, I, I, I suffered some emotional abuse, but but I also um, uh, felt resentment uh, against people who committed harms against other people. You know, I, I grew up, I'm Jewish, and I grew up in the 50s, and the and the Holocaust and all the horrors of the of the Holocaust uh, were something that weighed heavily on on my mind and did so for for decades. Um, just an obsession uh, relating to that. And although no, no one in my family suffered uh, from the Holocaust, my family came over from uh, Eastern Europe in, in the early 1900s, uh, this sense of impending doom, this sense of, of horrors going on, um, was a resentment uh, uh, of mine. Uh, I, I wish uh, I didn't want harm to have been done uh, to other people. Uh, and, and it continues uh, to this day, the, the sense that other people suffer in this world is, is a resentment uh, for me. Um, 
so uh, clearly when we put down our resentments, we would put down individual people and, and those uh, who have suffered harm from others would put them down. I may say that, that uh, my, the way I have been taught and the way I read uh, and the way my experience uh, ha- has led me uh, is that a resentment is something that's on your mind now and not something that you think should be on your mind. Um, uh, we'll find out in step five whether or not a particular, uh, whether we've, we've written down enough. And I, I think it's an important thing to talk about. I, I had a sponsee who said to me as we, as we worked on step four, she said, you know, 20 years ago I, I, I was raped and um, I went through 10 years of intensive therapy and now it doesn't bother me, it doesn't kill me, I don't think of that person, I'm done with, with him. Do I write him down? And, and uh, my answer, such as it was, was, you know, if, you, if it's not on your mind, you don't write it down, you'll find out at, towards the end of step five whether or not you should have written him down. As it turned out, she didn't have to write him down. The check, check uh, list uh, worked out fine for her. So it's only what's on your mind right now. And I'm not going through step four, but as we finish the resentment form, we come up with our specific, um, our specific character defects. Before we get there, we have to go through the spiritually sick prayers uh, found on page 67 and on page 552 to deal with the people who have done harm to us or to others. And that's a crucial step, uh, a, a moment, but it's a moment for people to, to take. They have to understand that the person who committed the harm, whether to, to them or to others, has a spiritual sickness that goes to their soul, whatever soul means to you. I've, I have absolutely no sense of a soul in any spiritual way, but the essence of their being, that they, that they are not people who have the ability to become human in the best possible sense. They are people without love, without serenity, who, cannot, who can neither love nor are able to be loved. Uh, they are people who are living horrible, hypocritical, double lives. They're psychopaths, they're sociopaths, whatever they are. They are so spiritually sick that they're damaged for their entire lives. Uh, unlike us who want to change, they are incapable of change. Um, and there's no concept of the word forgiveness in the big book. Um, forgive might, uh, does mean to some people, you're no longer in my mind. But for most people, I would think that forgive means you no longer owe me anything. And there are lots of people in this world who do owe, uh, who owe the remorse and the, and the uh, amends that we, we find ultimately we need to, we owe to others. So there's another concept here, and that is that anyone who does harm puts another nail in his or her coffin of the soul. And these are very sort of um, weird concepts, especially for someone who doesn't believe in an afterlife like me. But I, I have this sense that the more you, harm you do and the, and, and the lack of remorse that you have, you are less and less of a human being and more and more of some other kind of cre- creation. And uh, that's an important concept as well. So when we go through that and then we look where we've been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and frightened, and it's essential to do that because how do we make amends if we don't know where we've done harm? 
Um, and then I want to go, and, and so when we look at the word selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, fright, which are the four character defects on page 67 that ultimately disclose themselves to us as we work through uh, these forms, uh, these, uh, this uh, step four, we come to the word selfish again, and that's why I spent some time discussing it first. How am I selfish in relation to someone who did me harm? And I can give a number of different examples, but let's take the most basic one. I wish that harm had not occurred. I wish I had not suffered from at the hands of that person. Now, that isn't selfish by any means whatsoever in a dictionary, from a dictionary definition. But from the big book point of view, it is, I want to play God. I want to change the past. I want things to have been different. I want my past to have been different from what it is. And that's not a moral selfishness. That is a spiritual selfishness. It's a self-will. I want to be in charge of my life. And in effect, I am living in the past because the past is controlling how I feel about the present. And so I am selfish, self-willed, self-absorbed. My life has changed and I don't want it to have changed. Now that's something that you will not find in the big book specifically. Uh, but it certainly comes from the big book's uh, explanation of how, they use, how it uses the word selfish. Dishonest. Now dishonest in the big book, um, the examples given are almost always examples of lying, cheating, or stealing. Um, but there are other meanings of the word dishonest, and, and there, the, the, the concept is certainly found in the big book. Uh, it, on page 66, for instance, the big book says, sometimes it was remorse, and then we were so it ourselves. The concept of dishonesty can be not only lying, cheating, or stealing to others uh, or from others, but it can be lying to yourself about reality, and it can be not telling the truth when the truth should be told. Uh, this is especially important for people who are victims and people who are people pleasers. People have been humiliated most of their lives, or much of their lives. We are people who isolate, many of us are people who isolate, who do not talk or communicate about things that uh, hurt us deeply, um, and who shut ourselves off, not only from the sunlight of the spirit, but from other people who aren't in a sense uh, exhibit exhibitions of the sunlight of, of the spirit. So for a person who has harmed me or has harmed other people, um, ranging from, you know, the, the ridiculous example of the person who forced me to walk a few blocks because he parked on, on two sides of a parking space, of two parking spaces, parked over the yellow line, to the horrible, horrible examples uh, of, of people who have suffered sexual, physical abuse, uh, uh, the... the the dishonesty can be, I am trying to change something that is impossible to change. And, and that's a difficult concept, but it, it is certainly true. If, if, if my selfishness is I want the past not to have been the way it was, I want the past to be different, I want to have lived a different life, the dishonesty can be, I am lying to myself about reality. I am trying to live in a, in a world that does not exist. This did happen to me, and I'm lying to myself that I, it could ever change, 
and I am living within the past. I am, I am not living in the present because I'm lying to myself about the reality of the present. And another kind of dishonesty can be, I am not telling the truth when the truth should be told. It could relate to not telling the truth about what happened to you when you were a child or, or an adult. That, that could be uh, a reality. Um, you might not have been believed as a child, but you might have been believed as an adult. It, it could be that uh, what happened to you was something that you should have reported and you could have reported. That could be one of the kinds of dishonesty, not telling the truth when the truth should be told. In, in so many other ways, it could also be not telling other people affected by what happened to you about what happened. Uh, the, the, the shame, the guilt, the humiliation of what happened was such that it affected my life, it affected my ability to relate, to be intimate with people, to show love, to receive love. But people who tried to show me love or people who rightly expected love from me were denied that. But I could not tell them because of my shame and my humiliation. I could not tell them about what happened to me to explain why I'm incapable of this. And that inability to talk about what happened is another example, in a sense, of dishonesty, not telling the truth when the truth should be told. It's allowing shame and guilt and humiliation and anger uh, and all the, and the selfishness in the broad way to overpower the duty that is owed to another human being. Uh, whom you do love and whom you want to express your love to uh, uh, and who, by whom you wish to be loved. These are deep, deep and deeply emotional issues. And, and I'm, I, I'm hoping that, that my discussion of them in, in, a, in a broad way will not trigger anyone or will, at, at, the, at, the, be, at the most, um, um, uh, give them some, some guidance in this. And I'm sorry if, if there are any triggers to, to anyone here. I've, I've been asked to deal with this topic, and it's not an easy topic to deal with. So that's dishonesty. Self-seeking is a difficult concept. It becomes inconsiderate in the sex conduct uh, form, uh, but uh, it is basically thinking about myself when I should be thinking about someone else. It's allowing other people to define how I think about myself. And certainly in relation to someone who would have abused me, that person controls, it can control, how I feel about myself. So self-seeking, I'm seeking myself, my definition of self, in the other person. That person made me feel terrible. I therefore have low self-esteem. I therefore think about myself as a shame-worthy person. Excuse me. Um, and, and certainly self-seeking is, is, a, is a good example. And frightened is the fourth character defect, and that's just I am full of fear. I am so, all the fears, I'm afraid of people, I'm afraid of intimacy, I'm afraid of the dark, I'm afraid of being touched, I'm afraid of all these fears. I'm afraid someone will find out all these fears. Now, I'm only giving examples. People who do the step four will figure out their own area where they've been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking fight. And then as we go through step four, we've got the step four uh, fear uh, dealing with where we 
where we ultimately come up with what would our higher power have us be in relation to the particular fears. And we begin to understand by using that, and the big book promises us on page 68 that we will outgrow the fear. We will become mature in relation to that fear. We begin to realize, for instance, that our higher power would have us be a loving, kind, tolerant, truthful person in relation to the harms that were done to us, a person who learns from the harms to be even more compassionate or more loving or who is able to speak of the horrors and the shame uh, or, you know, it depends on, on your own situation. Under the sex conduct form, we would not write down the abuser because we're only being asked to for whom, whom had we hurt. Um, but we certainly, if we've suffered sexual or physical abuse, um, we would certainly have had, that would certainly have had an effect, certainly on most people, on many people, on our relationships with others, and we would write, uh, write those down. So by the time we finish step four, we will have identified parts of ourselves, the defects of character, of selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and frightening, even in relation to people who have harmed us. And that's really, really important. The Big Book certainly talks about that, but the examples that I've used are nothing like the examples found in the big book. In step five, we share this with another human being. And the only thing I want to point out is on page 75, there are four promises uh, after we've shared it with another human being. And this is the way we can find out whether we've actually written down all that we can't have to. We are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone in perfect peace and ease and our fears fall from us. Those four checklists for little uh, promises, not little big promises, are the ones that tell us whether we might have to go back and do a little, little bit more uh, in, in our step four. We go through step six and seven, and we're now at steps eight and nine. And here is where we are faced with the big book examples of victimizers, not victims. The examples we're giving are people we have hated, people we owe money to, uh, people who, uh, a society to whom we owe a debt, um, people who don't pay their alimony, people who uh, gossip and tell lies about another person, uh, a person who is cheating on his wife, um, the living amends we owe to, to people uh, with whom we live, with whom we associate. There's nothing in these examples on, found on pages um, uh, 76 to uh, 83 uh, of the big book. There are no examples of, well, what do we do for the person who has harmed us? And here's where a lot of uh, all the discussion that I've uh, had before uh, comes, I think, to the fore. Um, if we're going to make amends, we have to know what harm we've done to, some, to the people who are on our list. And I want to go through kinds of possible uh, people who might be on our list. Some of us and some people I know in this program have decided that they have harmed the person who harmed them. Not all, but some. This is their reasoning. And then I'm going to go through the, uh, the other reasoning, but this is their reasoning. They have said to themselves, I did not stop that person 
from harming other people because I did not tell the truth when the truth could and should have been told. Something happens to them as a child. They, they knew they wouldn't be believed as a child or they believed they wouldn't be believed as a child. But when they got older, they could have said something and they did not. And they came to the conclusion that that is the harm that they did to the, other, to per, the abuser because to do that meant that the abuser was continuing to do harm to others and thus doing harm to his or, or her soul or her being. That's esoteric. That's, that's, that's not something that speaks to the hearts of many people in this program. I'm just telling you what some people I know have come to the conclusion, uh, about which they've come to the conclusion. And, and uh, there's more. So this is not the only issue, um, the only difficulty, the only way of be, looking at it. Uh, people who have been in an abusive uh, spousal relationship um, think, uh, may think that the harm they've done to the other person who was abusive was not getting out of the relationship earlier, staying in the relationship, thinking they could change this person, thinking that love would overcome what was obviously a deep psychological um, and spiritual uh, sickness, and thus allowing that person, allowing is the wrong word, but putting that person in a position to continue to do harm. And that is really a, again, it's, 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 it may sound weird to many people. It made sense. It makes sense to some people within this program. Um, after the first hit, I am leaving you unless you go to a psychiatrist, psychologist, get help from, from your alcoholism, get help for your drug abuse or whatever it is. I am not staying in a relationship where you can do these things to me. Um, and that, that is how they see uh, they may see the harm they did. So sometimes within this program, people who have been victims will write down the name of the victimizer, the person who, who did the horrible things, and conclude that they did harm to that person by in some way not telling the truth when the truth should have been told and, and could have been told. So that's one kind of harm that some of my friends in this program have seen about some of the abuse they suffered. Others have not looked at the abuser. They have looked at the people who were affected in their lives by the abuse that had been done, the people they loved, the people they wanted to show more love to, the people whom they rejected um, when, when, they, they should have been open to love or open to affection or open to friendship, the people they rejected because of their fear of intimacy or friendship uh, as a result of the, of the uh, vic- uh, victimizing of the abuse that they suffered. And they have looked at those people and they've written those people down, uh, people uh, who, whom, with whom they could have had a relationship or people with whom they do or did have a relationship but could not share could not be enough of a person for because of the part of them that had been taken away by the abuse they suffered. Um, I, uh, uh, and, and that's a, a very uh, a deep, deep truth. Um, I, I mean, when, when people look, uh, have to look at the spiritual sickness of the person who committed the abuse upon them at that moment between the third column in the resentment form and the fourth column, when they have to look at the spiritual sickness, they will almost always 
come to the realization that the person who hurt them was not only spiritually sick, but was a hurt person too. You know, I, I don't know what the statistics are, but the, the chances are that hurt people hurt people. And uh, they, will, they will see that the person who harmed them was, a, was I, I don't want to say probably, but was, uh, was a, a victim himself or, or herself. So those are examples of the way in which people who have victimized us, people who have done bad things to us, can be looked at uh, as helping us understand whom we've harmed as a result. Again, some of my friends see that they've harmed the, the abuser by not trying to stop that abuser at a time when it could have been done. Um, uh, and, and others uh, see it as harming other people as a result of, of uh, the, the, um, the shame, humiliation, anger, uh, need for self-protection, low self-esteem, whatever the emotions, whatever the, the attitudes are uh, of people who, with whom they wanted to be or could have been in a, in a more uh, deep uh, relationship. And some have done both. I mean, it, 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 they're not mutually exclusive. They're, they're, they're different ways of, um, of dealing with it. So steps eight and nine are discussed together in the big book. And they're discussed in a way that we, first of all, look at the kinds of amends that can be made, and then we look whether such amends would injure other people, the individuals or others, if they were made. So we're, we're willing to make amends but we don't make amends if to do so would injure the individual we're making amends to uh, or others. Uh, you know, the example that we have in our, I think it's in our OA 12 and 12, is uh, an amends you should not make is, hi, mom, you don't know it, but I've hated you for 20 years. I love you now. Goodbye. You, you wouldn't make that amends because it would harm your mother who doesn't know that you've hated her for 20 years. Um, so, how do you determine what kind of amends do I make and then how do I determine whether I should make that amends? And these have to be divided. They are in steps eight and nine. Eight is I'm willing to make complete amends to everyone. Step nine is, but I don't if to do so would injure another person, anyone but me. Um, so uh, here's where there's a lot of interpretation, a lot of sort of an approach this issue. It's, it's not an easy topic. Um, so, first of all, let's say the person to whom I have decided I owe an amends, the person I decided I've harmed, is a person who has harmed me. What kind of amends do that I owe? Assuming that person is alive, and we'll deal with it if that person is dead, but assuming that person is alive, what amends do I owe? Well, let's say I've decided that I've done harm, harm to that person by not stopping that person from doing further harm, by not doing all that was in my power to stop that person from doing further harm, whether that means staying in a relationship uh, with that person or whether it means uh, not going to the authorities or not going to someone who, who could have uh, um, stopped that person uh, when I was able to do so, when I was uh, old enough to be believed or, or something of that sort. Um, what kind of amends do I owe? 
I'm not saying we're going to make these amends, but what kind of amends do I owe? Well, certainly, uh, the big book talks about sort of the eyeball to eyeball. I am sorry for what I have done. I'm trying to change my life. Um, I have to uh, apologize for what I've done in the past so I can live a better life in the, in, in the present and the future. That's the eyeball to eyeball apology. Big book discusses that. Uh, it, it says with the person we dislike, we take the, on page 77, we take the bit in our teeth. It's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend. We find them much more beneficial to us. We go to them in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling, expressing our regret. We don't criticize such a person. We tell them we'll never get over drinking until we've done our utmost to straighten up the past. We are there to sweep off our side of the street, um, uh, realizing that nothing worthwhile, page 78, can be accomplished until we do so, never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. Now, you read this and you think to yourself, oh, you know, uh, does this mean that I go to the abuser and say, well, I'm really sorry that I, um, I don't even know what you could possibly say or what anyone could imagine. Said I, I'm not going to talk about all the abuse you did to me, but I will say that uh, I'm sorry that I smiled at you once. So I don't know. I mean, no, I, I can't imagine that, that if, if Bill Wilson were confronted with this situation, he would say that at all. I think what it means is that we, we take squarely, the amends we owe are, is, is squarely what we have done to that person. If you come to the conclusion that the harm you've done to that person is not going to the authorities or not getting that person saying, I'm leaving this relationship unless you get some help, then the amends is an apology for not having done so. I'm not saying we do it. That, that will discuss the step nine. But that certainly is an amends that we owe. I am sorry for not having gone to the police when you hit me. I am sorry for not having gone to the police when you raped me. I am sorry. I mean, this is... <laughs> not that I am, so, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, 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 it's such deep stuff, and I, I, I just, I'm, I'm so concerned that I, I, that people understand me. I'm not saying we're ever going to do that. I'm saying that if you, if you come to the conclusion after your analysis, going through steps four through nine, uh, four through uh, seven, if you come to the conclusion that the harm you've done to another person was not telling the truth to a person who abused you, was not telling the truth when the truth should have been told, then you, the, the amends you owe is an apology. Not saying you're going to make that apology, but that's the amends you owe. Uh, it may be that um, uh, you, you, you've come to the conclusion that you owe no amends to that person, um, the, um, but you do owe amends to people with whom you've been in relationships or whose relationships you've, uh, you've re rejected or run away from because of the effect of the abuse on you. The amends you owe to them is to tell them the truth and to apologize to them for not having told the truth earlier, is to tell them what, what, um, what happened to you, and it doesn't have to be in any detail, but to explain that and, and to apologize. Because you are a person who harmed another person by rejecting relationships or rejecting intimacy or not being as intimate as you could be or not being as loving as you could be because of the harm that was done to you. Completely understandable, absolutely understandable. It's, it's the protective force. It's, I mean, how many people turn to food as a method of protection 
for the harms that they've experienced in their lives. So it's all understandable, but we're trying to live a different life. And so that's the amends uh, that, that uh, would be owed. Uh, now, uh, I mean, there are other kinds of amends that the book describes, uh, the, the owing of money or the, uh, the reparations for any financial or uh, physical harm that's been done. And, and I must say, the people I, I've interviewed as, as part of a job I did for the last seven, eight years, I've, I've interviewed hundreds of people who have suffered sexual uh, abuse, horrible, horrible sexual abuse. And almost to a person, not quite to a person, they described a range of harms that they committed on their children and their loved ones in withdrawing of intimacy, in sudden rages, uh, in uh, in, 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 the, in the drinking or the drug abuse that led them to be unable to take care of the people they loved uh, or led them to run away from the people they loved because they didn't feel capable of love, they didn't feel capable of giving love. Um, and, and so this is an important aspect of, of amends. As a result of what was done to me, I then harmed other people, hurt people, hurts people. Uh, and, and they've come to the conclusion, these people I've interviewed, uh, as well as friends, some friends of mine in the program, that they owe amends to people who, to whom they owed a greater honesty and more loving and more uh, of an of a intimate, uh, I don't mean sexually intimate, but intimate relationship. Um, and criminal offenses, it may be that, uh, that they, uh, that's the third kind of uh, direct amends, uh, the debt we owe to society. We may have committed crimes as a result of what was done to us and as a result of, of all the eating and, and, and uh, attempt to, uh, to protect ourselves that have happened. So, and then there are living amends, the amends we owe to people uh, in, our, in our current lives. So, now we look at the issue of whether or not the amends we owe can be made. And this is an important, first of all, we have to be ready to make amends, but we don't make them if to do so would harm other people, including the person we, um, we, uh, we owe the amends to. So, we look at it very carefully. And the big book gives examples of this. Uh, do we tell the wife of our of our cheating, do we tell the, uh, um, do we uh, pay all the money we owe back and thus starve our, our, our current family? Uh, do we uh, confess to horrible slander uh, or defamation uh, which might harm our business uh, partner and, and our family? Um, and the answer is we do them if once we consult with them and once we come to the conclusion it would not harm other people. The only real example they give of harming the person is do we tell our wives of our infidelity? And the example is, is okay, but it certainly doesn't go far enough uh, to discuss the issue of whether we do harm to an abuser by saying to the abuser, I am sorry I didn't tell uh, the police of what you did to me uh, so many years ago, and that allowed you to go on and do more harm to other people. And, you know... People, I mean, individuals have to come to their own conclusion about whether harm would result. My initial reaction is harm would result, uh, saying that to that person. 
it, 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 it puts, it puts uh, you in a position to be harmed again because that person might, uh, who's obviously not suffered remorse or otherwise he or she would have apologized for what had done and shown remorse, um, it puts you in a position of, of, of being hurt again. Um, uh, and, and that would be wrong because that person would then be, be doing harm. Um, it, puts that, it puts that person who, who the, the abuser in, in the position of, uh, of being harmed again by, um, by the, the ability to be angry, to, to uh, go off and, and try and stop, uh, stop uh, uh, you from, from telling anyone about it. It's uh, what I think what the big book would say, uh, leading with a chin. And, and so my initial reaction would be, no, you don't do that. But I can imagine some circumstances in which someone has prayed and meditated on it who, who decides that that is what should have been done. Um, uh, an abusive spouse, um, maybe, maybe not. Um, and, and you can't predict these things. It's not, uh, nor is there one set answer. It has to be from the heart uh, after discussion with someone like a sponsor or a therapist as to whether harm would be done. Um, but there are different kinds of amends. And I, I give you examples from three of my uh, friends within this program. One of them, uh, all of whom were sexually abused, uh, uh, well, uh, victims of rape as children. One of them in, uh, knew what, what had happened to the person who, who had abused her and said that person is over 90 years old. He is absolutely alone. He is dying of a slow disease. He's getting whatever comes to him. I don't owe him any more than just keeping him out of my life and out of my thoughts. I am now quit of him. And that was her amends. Um, another person said, uh, well, it was actually at, at a family reunion, and said this man, pointing to an uncle of hers, abused me as a child. Uh, he committed incest with me. Um, I never told anybody about it. And in doing so, I, I might have been uh, encouraging him to do more to other people. I'm not letting my children close to him. And if I were you, I would not let my children, your children, close to him. And you could say, well, isn't that doing harm to the uncle? Well, my answer is this. If, you're, if a child is about to fall off a cliff, and the only way to save them is to grab an arm and have that arm break, but still save that child, you're doing more good than harm. And sometimes uh, the, the little harm, or that's not so little, but the harm that is done to a person's reputation uh, is worth preventing that person from doing any more harm. And we're seeing that these days uh, in, 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 the, uh, in, in the public eye with all the celebrities that are now being denounced. Uh, women are... are um, clearly feeling that, that there, uh, many women uh, are, are feeling that um, their, their job is uh, to make sure that something doesn't happen again. <clears throat> and another friend of mine went to the police. Uh, in Canada, we don't have a statute of limitations, so she could talk about what happened to her uh, more than 25 years uh, before. So these are, these are the kinds of amends that can be made if the person is still alive. Um, if the person is dead and you, and you feel you owe an amends to that person, you might not feel that, but if you do feel you owe an amends to that person, um, then 
the, if you can't make that amends, then there are different ways of dealing with that. I, I think I'll uh, one one thing I did from for a certain person who had died who had done harm to me um, and ha- done harm to others. I'm, I'm, I was was to say, you are no longer going to be doing harm to me. I am taking you out of the equation. You are not affecting my life anymore. And that was an amends to that person, the sense that that person continued to do harm to me even after his death. And I wasn't going to let him do that anymore. And I was going to live, uh, live my life in such a way that people like him would, know, would, would uh, do as little harm to others as, as possible. I would do things. I would live a life. I would get active in, in, um, in ways that would try to prevent that kind of uh, harm from occurring to others. So that's uh, people uh, who have died and to whom I feel an, an amend or others feel that they have to make an amends um, if they've done, if, even though they've done harm uh, to you. And then there are the amends that are owed to people who, who have suffered as a result of what we suffered. Those are more clear. Um, to them, we might owe an apology. We may owe living amends if we're still in a relationship with them. Um, ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends, uh, to whom we would want to say, I was so shaken by what happened to me as a child or what happened to me as a, as a young person that I was not able to enter into a relationship with you that was an honest and loving relationship. And I hurt you as a result. And I am sorry for that. Now, that's step eight. We don't necessarily make that amends, but that is the amends we would willingly make if we could. To children, uh, I am sorry that I withheld my love. Um, to spouses, I am sorry that I withheld my love. Uh, this is what happened to me. These are the things that occurred to me. This is what I could not tell you. Because when we get to this point, our sense of what we should be ashamed of is very different. Because it's no longer a sense of shame. It's a sense of what do I owe to others as a result of what has happened to me? And certainly something that happened to me as a child that I was a victim of is nothing I should be ashamed of. I mean, it is not, how can, how can I be ashamed or humiliated? I can be humiliated, but how can I be ashamed or feel guilt for something that was done to me over which I had no control? And, I, you know, what in, in the hundreds of people I've interviewed in the last seven, uh, seven eight years, it continues to, amaze me is the wrong word, it, it is tragic to see the shame that they feel for something over which they had no control. And I think that the great, one of the great things about the 12 steps is the ability of an individual who's working the 12 steps to go beyond that, to transform herself or himself, to transcend that, that shame and guilt and realize that what is really important is our relationship with our higher power. That's what we strive to have. And in the light of our relationship with whatever higher power we have, um, we did no harm. Harm was done to us. And we, and, and we may owe amends for the harms that we did others, but we should feel no shame or humiliation or guilt for what was done to us. The past is the past. 
we were not in charge of it. We should not be held responsible for it. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing to watch the transformation that can occur. It's a wonderful thing, a miracle to watch the transformation that occurs as people work through steps four through nine and come to this realization. But there are amends to be made. And often they're living amends. They're just living differently. The big book discusses living amends uh, on uh, pages um, uh, 82 uh, to 83. Um, uh, Passing all understanding as the patients mothers and wives have had with alcoholics were like a tornado roaring our way through the lives of others. See, that's the victims, the victimizers. The victims, I would say that many of us are not like a tornado roaring our way through the lives of others. We're like dark holes. We suck up the energy from wounds. Um, we, we, we overpower happiness by a general feeling of lethargy and sadness and, and, uh, for so many of us. Um, but uh, as the big book says on page 83, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fill the bill at all. Talks about sitting down with the family, analyzing the past, being very careful not to criticize them, cleaning house with the family, uh, asking uh, uh, each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. Um, and says we have to live the spiritual life. Uh, our behavior will convince them more than our words. Um, <clears throat> so will we harm anyone by telling them? Well, I suppose if, you know that depends on on whom we are talking to. Uh, do we go back to a, uh, a boyfriend or a girlfriend of 40 years ago and say, remember me? Uh, you know, I'm really sorry that I rejected you that time when you uh, came on to me because uh, you were a nice person. I was just afraid because of what happened to me uh, 15 years earlier. Well, if you haven't had a part in that person's life, the chances are coming back to that person and talking about the rejection would harm that person. I've been in that situation. And there are a number of people uh, to whom I owe amends whom I can't make amends to because it's sort of like catapulting myself into their lives 30, 40, 50, well, almost 50 years later. I haven't seen them for 40, 50 years. Uh, what good is that? It, it, it would be harmful to them or it would more probably be harmful than not. So I don't make amends like that. Um, on the other hand, people we live with, we make amends by changing ourselves. The fear prayer is wonderful. God, please remove my fear of intimacy and direct my attention to what you would have me be. The fear prayer is so helpful. We begin to outgrow fears because we're in a position to be able to say, what would my God have me be? Loving, doing my best to open my heart, open to being hurt because I'm no longer possessed by the terrible harm that I felt. Uh, getting rid of this this feeling of shame and guilt uh, and substituting with it love, tolerance, and patience uh, as much as I can. Um, this ability to transform ourselves is within the, the, um, the capacity of all of us who are pursuing the steps. It can happen. It, it, it can happen at once. It certainly won't happen if we say to ourselves, uh, at step three or step two, oh, I'll never uh, say I'm sorry to that bastard, pardon my language. Um, but it, 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 it happens if you have faith that the steps work one by one by one, that we don't look at step nine until we look at step eight. We don't look at step eight until we've done step seven. We don't look at step seven until we have really considered issues in step six. We don't look at step six until we've really 
worked our step five and have had that those promises of being delighted, being able to look the world in the eye come true. And we don't do that until we've done a real uh, good analysis of our resentments, our fears, and our sex conduct. You have to have faith in the process of the steps. Not look ahead, not assume that in step eight, when you say, I owe an amends to X, not assume that you're going to make those amends in nine. You might not be. And you should be always be consulting with another person about that. Uh, you know what? I, I think I've talked enough, uh, and I think I'm open to questions now. Thanks. Thank you, Lori, very much for this thorough presentation and analysis of this important and very complex topic. Thank you very much for this helpful presentation. The share ID for this morning's presentation, 11466, that's 11,466. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. In order to ask a question, you'll need to press star 1 to unmute. Please announce your name, including the first letter of your last name. Uh, this is Lucy from Maryland. I'd like to ask a question. Lucy, one moment. Thank you. Eleanor Z. Eleanor, I got you, Marzi. Julie R. Julie R. Joan Carolyn S.H. Carolyn S.H. There was somebody before Carolyn. Uh, Joan S. Joan S. Cindy K. Cindy K. Yes. All right. We'll take that group. Marion H. Marion H. Okay. Let's stop there for now. Everybody, please remute yourself, and let's begin with Lucy E. Okay. Thank you so much, Laurie. It was wonderful. Uh, a difficult topic, and I did take some points away uh, from what you were saying. But I was trying to get clarity as you were sharing. One was you're sharing based on you working steps four through nine with yourself in terms of being abused, or was it that you're just solely talking about your perspective in terms of interviewing people and then they're the result of what happened? Because I was trying to get a specific example of your experience, strength and hope, in terms of an abuse you, you endured and then how you actually worked it. So, is, I, I mean, it's kind of a few little questions. Okay, well, I, well thank you. I, I, um, I, I, have, I, I mean, I've suffered minutely bad emotional abuse. I, 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 I say minutely bad because compared to what other of my friends in this program have suffered, uh, it's, it's nothing. And, and so I, I don't want to put myself as an experienced person having dealt with abuse. I'm not. And, and, um, and uh, one thing I want to say, and I'm so glad you gave me the opportunity, I forgot to say, is that people who have been subjects of, of abuse, uh, have subjected victims of abuse, when they work this program and come out the other side with the promises of step nine, find that their darkest past, as the big book says, has become their greatest possession. They are able to say what I cannot say. They were able to say, listen, 
these horrible things happened to me when I was five, when I was 10, when I was 15, and I don't eat over them anymore. They're able to transform the horrors that occurred into something that can help another person who has suffered as they have suffered. I can't. I have no ability to do that. I can talk about my friends. I can talk about the people I've interviewed. I can't speak from my own personal experience. I'm a great, I'm not great, but I'm a theorist. I'm a textual analyzer. I, I, I certainly know how to talk, but I am I, not speaking from my own experience. Some analogies, I mean, I was bullied as a kid, and I, I was in a, a few very difficult relationships when I was young and felt that it was good to suffer because it built character, so I wanted to suffer a lot. But I would say that the suffering I suffered is so small compared to the horrors that I've, I've heard from others that I, I really, I, I don't ever want to be thought of as, as an expert on this issue or as someone who has in any way, shape or form suffered um, what other people in this program have suffered. Uh, the experience I've had in interviewing others simply has given me insight into the kinds of harms that can be done as a result of abuse that was suffered. Uh, uh, hardly any of them, interesting enough, were in 12-step groups um, um, some of them achieved uh, their the, uh, miracle of transformation through uh, other methods, but, but that's neither here nor there. I hope that answers your question. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks, Lucy. E. Eleanor S., star one to unmute. Um, I'm sorry, I was unmuting. Um, this is Eleanor um, S. in Tennessee. Uh, Lori. Thank you so much. I I always learn when I listen to you. Um, it, it just helps me so much. So thank you so much for uh, sharing this morning. Um, the question that we have some similar things in our background that no one has ever touched on before. Um, so here's my question. Um, if a person or I were to tell someone that my inability to be intimate um, was caused by sexual abuse as a child, is that an excuse? I mean, it sounds like, hmm, I guess I've always thought that if I treat someone with less than uh, what say I would want to treat them or less less uh, than how I would want them to treat me or my higher power would, that if I tell them, give them any kind of causative uh, factor, that that would be an excuse. So could you reflect on that for a minute? Thank you. That's, that's a, Eleanor, I, I, I mean, there are no right answers and no wrong answers in this, okay? Like, like, I, 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 I have always felt, and my experience has shown, that it's what's right for us and not for another person. Anyone who tries to tell you what you should say or should be doing in terms of an amends, uh, I think would be leading us all, leading you astray, leading uh, her, himself or herself astray. Uh, what might be the right amends for one person would be the wrong amends for another it's, 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 it's so complex and so difficult that there's no right answer. 
Um, I would always consult with, uh, for difficult and complex amends, I would always consult with at least one other person in this program and perhaps uh, with a therapist if I'm, going, if I'm seeing a therapist or with someone else just to talk about it. That's number one. Number two, by the time we reach this stage, step eight and nine, it becomes clearer what the harm is and what we can do to change because it's not enough just to apologize to someone with whom one is in a relationship. One must work to change to live a different life. If I'm living a life in which I have been unable to hug my children, then the amends I may owe to my children is to hug them or to do something that shows love uh, in, in some loving physical uh, uh, way, like, like hugging or, or touching or something like that. Um, so, an amends is, because the big book talks about the spiritual life is not a theory, we have to live it. If this is with people we're living with, by living, I mean in some relationship with, that we see them more, more than once in a lifetime, um, then we owe them more than an apology. We owe them a different person. Um, and, and so what that different person is uh, really depends on, on how, on, on one's state, on one's approach to life, on what is possible within the, the time period that's allotted to us in, of, of this life. And, and so I don't have, I, I don't have an answer. I, I just know that ultimately we get the answers by working through the steps very, very clearly. And what may be right today may be wrong tomorrow. Uh, I, I, uh, what may be right today may be wrong in two years' time. If one thing I know and, and, and it, it has to, I, I believe, my experience shows, that whatever amends you make has to come from your heart. I, I've heard other people say, well, you grit your teeth and you say it whether you believe it or not. That's not my experience. It's not the experience of people I've talked to. People know if you mean it or you don't. And an apology not really meant is not there. It's not really an apology. I, I think that as you go through this, you come to this conclusion about where you've gone wrong, and what the proper approach is. And if somehow you've made a mistake, you've made a mistake, and you'll learn from that too. Your motives have been the best. I mean, I, 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 can't go, I won't go into detail, but I once made an amends to a person who responded in a way that, and I consulted with a sponsor, I consulted about what I should do, and the response was overwhelmingly negative. And it didn't bother me. It taught me a lesson about how more careful even I should be than I had been. But I had, I had as, the, as the big book says on page um, uh, 78, it should not matter if someone does throw us out of our, his office. We have made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over a dam. I have cleaned off my side of the street with the best motivation after consulting with people if, it, if in some way it had a bad effect on you, that's no longer my problem. That's now your problem. You're on your side of the street. You better sweep your side of the street off. So I don't have an answer, uh, Eleanor. I, I just know that you'll find the answers. Does, does that help? Or is there anything more you want to talk about? No, that, that helps a lot. I, I really was concerned with it being an experience and I understand what you're you're telling me. Thank you so much. Yeah. 
thing. It has to be real, and it's not an excuse. Right. It's, an, it, it's an excuse to say, oh, this happened, so I'm like this. It's not an excuse to say, this happened, I have been like this, I am doing my best not to be like this. Ah. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Eleanor F. Mara Z. Thank you, Leah. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Lori, always good to hear you. Thank you so much. Um, I have a question. It, I've got a conundrum. So I can understand forgiving someone who has harmed me. I am not quite, I, I'm, I'm thinking, would it be appropriate, here's my thought, would, would it be appropriate, I, I know you can't judge, but instead of me making an amends to the victimizer, my brain says, okay, so, if, so you know, somebody, I don't know, they, I don't have the experience, so just for the sake of discussion, someone abuses me as a child. I understand getting to a point of forgiveness. I can't get to making amends to that person, but I do understand what you're saying. So wouldn't it be an okay thing to instead go to a place that deals with children who are molested or abused so that I can be of service to them going forward? Does that make uh, sense? Yeah. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. And, and let me say, first of all, I don't understand forgiving a person who's abused me. Because I use the word forgiveness to mean you no longer owe me a debt. I think people who show no remorse, who continue to do what they're doing or have no sense of the harm that they've done, um, should not have their debt uh, forgiven. Uh, but forgiving in the sense of you're no longer going to be in my life, because a lot of people use forgiveness in that sense, I understand that. So I, the word forgive is a difficult word, and it's hardly used in the big book and certainly is not used at, at this point in step four. Uh, um, because forgiving is, is really a very broad concept that can apply to a whole bunch of different things. If a person owes well, me then, money, well, so then probably the word I'm thinking probably the word I'm thinking of then is acceptance and not necessarily forgiveness. Yeah, terrific. Uh, uh, yes, I could, I understand acceptance. Do I own amends? Many of my friends in this program think they owe no amends to the person who abused them. They the amends they may think they owe is to make sure that that kind of abuse will not happen to other people. And absolutely, that is one way of doing it. Absolutely. Okay. For instance, I mean, here's an example. Hitler was on my list. Uh, uh, now, Hitler did not harmed me particularly, but he had, was responsible for the death of millions of people, not just Jews. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And there's no forgiveness to, to Hitler. I mean, I don't have a right to forgive him. He didn't do harm to me. Uh, uh, I can accept that that the reality of what occurred occurred before I was born, my amends to Hitler, in a sense, was to make sure to stand up for the rights of the oppressed, uh, to stand up for the rights of, of minorities, to, to do my best within my own limited capabilities to, to make sure that nothing that Hitler did could happen again, uh, both on the smaller and the larger scale, wherever I was capable of doing it. So I absolutely agree that is an amends that can be made. It's, it's, it's abstract but true and real. And, and a lot of people, you know, who have been victims of sexual abuse, for instance, will get involved in, 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 in organizations uh, that deal with sexual abuse and try to help people and counsel them and, and, and all that. And that is, you're no longer, and that is, in a sense, 
you, abuser, are no longer doing any more harm to me or to anyone else within my capabilities of helping. And I think that's a, an appropriate uh, – it, it seems to me like an appropriate response. Again, if, if the individual has to look at it uh, for him or herself, but that certainly seems appropriate to me. Super. Thanks so much, Lori. Thank you. Thanks, Maura Z. Carolyn S.H., star one to unmute. Hi, Leah. Good morning. Um, Carolyn S.H. Uh, from Massachusetts, currently in New York. Um, Lori, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. Um, and I found your treatment extremely respectful. Thank you. Um, I, I have so many questions, but I'm just going to throw one at you. Um, uh, I really got a lot out of what you were saying um, with respect to the dishonesty um, and the um, uh, trying to live in a world that doesn't exist. Um, and my experience of that is, is like uh, propagating denial in myself. That's the words I've used. Um, and is there any... How, what's come to my mind is, is awareness of my lack of courage um, in, the, in the years, um, in the past few decades of not speaking up and not telling the truth. Um, and do you, do you address the question of self-forgiveness for that? Like it's almost a separate issue. You know, that it's taken this long to get to the point of telling the truth. That's a very interesting um, question. I mean, I, you know, I've been taught, and it certainly seems to be true, that the big book never talks about forgiving yourself or, um, or making amends to yourself. Um, and that the real amends that you make are becoming the different person that you're capable of being, of transforming yourself, of taking all the hurt that you felt and becoming a, a, a person with courage and with uh, faith. Um, and those are, that is, and thinking of others rather than yourself. Um, so those are the words the big book uses. And, 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 and yet there are people, there are so many sort of broken people in this world, I'm not suggesting necessarily in a way, uh, who, who deserve to feel better about themselves. Um, and my experience has been that when they work the steps, they do. Because the promise of step nine, one of many promises of step nine, is that we're in a different relationship with our higher power. That it is now obvious and clear that if we live according to the dictates of our higher power, whatever that means, to me it just means my deepest values, to others it may mean a particular deity. Um, if we live according to the dictates of our higher power, we will be in a better world and we will be different people. And we will not need to forgive ourselves because we will be doing all that that is necessary to, uh, to overcome whatever harm we've done. So I, you know, I have this difficulty. It's not a difficulty, but from the big book perspective, changing yourself is the miracle of self-forgiveness, of taking care of yourself, of, of um, the amends you owe. The amends you owe to yourself may be as simple as, I will be a better person. I will say no when no ought to be said and not enable people by saying yes all the time. I will have time to myself so that I can better 
hit myself to be of maximum usefulness to others. But the big book is really outer directed and not inner directed. It is in changing our, it is in making amends to others that we change ourselves. And we, our defects of character, instead of being selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened, we work towards the spiritual goal of being unselfish, of being honest, of being, of looking, of being considerate of others, of thinking of others and not ourselves, and of being free of fear. And I think that we end up not feeling the guilt that requires self-forgiveness. That's my experience. Uh, thinking of others rather than ourselves takes us outside of ourselves, and we're not living in this confusing world in which um, our mind takes control of us. We're living in the world of the spirit and not of ourselves. I don't know if that helps. I know that the language of the big book is, is not a familiar language when it comes to a lot of things that go on when people go through therapy, when they go through self-help, when they listen to you know, self-help gurus and stuff like that. Uh, that's, I shouldn't talk about gurus. People who talk about being kind to yourself, being nice to yourself. And uh, the big book just doesn't talk that way. And that's so not the way, and that, that's not the way I've been sort of taught to, to uh, the language that I've been taught to use, using the, the language of the big book. But translating what you're saying, I think the answer is yes, ultimately you forgive yourself because you are no longer the person who you used to be. And, and um, you know, there's a lot been written on, on the concept of forgiveness. And, and um, uh, if, if you show, if you have true remorse for what you've done and you want to make up for all the harms that you've done and you try to live a life based on, your, on learning from the mistakes that you've made in the past, uh, you, you are no longer the same person that you were. And there's no need to forgive yourself because you're a different person, if that makes sense. It does. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you, Carolyn S.H. Joan S., star one to unmute. Thanks, Leah. Can you hear me? Yes, I do. Okay, thank you. Um, Thank you, Laurie, for your message and your service and um, for the courage to bring this message forward. I, I had the privilege of hearing you share these uh, this perspective um, at a at a step study in New Jersey a few years ago, and at the time, um, I was in this point in the steps, so it was very impactful for me. And I did apply it. Um, I applied um, this as I was going through my steps. And um, when I was a child, I experienced severe emotional abuse and also abuse carried forward into my marriage and um, this approach of honesty and taking responsibility for my part and also seeing the ways in which I abused um, and victimized others was um, amazing in my life. With my higher power, it gave me, um, gave me the guidance, you know, to, to take these steps. And when I did, um, you know, they fell on deaf ears, but I will say it was within, you know, maybe a week or so that the reconciliation came to my heart. And God showed me how this work that I had done had a really positive impact on um, my child's heart. 
and that was I just got filled with this overwhelming feeling of love and peace and it was forgiveness but it was also forgiveness on a self level it was you know sort of a letting go of this pattern uh, at least in that particular relationship so I, I thank you and it's really good to hear this message that's all I have thanks well I, I thank you for your experience that's more powerful than anything I could say thank you Thank you, Joan S. Cindy K. Star one to unmute your question, please. Good morning. Um, it's been so good to listen to you. Um, may I be heard? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I am um, having some confusion as far as doing the amends. In situations where I've been in emotionally abusive relationships, I am having trouble trying to to make my amends either specific or generalized. Would I go to this person and say, um, for example, um, I don't know, I, I... acted passive aggressively instead of saying I need to get out of this relationship. So the actions I did passive aggressively, I can see where I need to make amends. Um, but how detailed would I need to get? Um, I asked you to come back with me many, many times after I've told you to leave for abusing me. Um, I open the door and said, get out in the middle of a rainstorm. I mean, what, how specifically would I be? And thank you. All right. That's, that's such a hard issue for which I have no easy answer. Um, I, 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 a guideline I can give you is, um, if there are any doubts, it's not ready yet. Um, even to speak to that person, I would never speak to a person unless I was ready to do that, you know, because step eight is became willing to make complete amends to them all. So that's, that's the one. The, the second is that, uh, um, well, I, I, you know, I mean, I owe an amends. I, I, I owe a whole bunch of little, uh, they're, for me, they're little amends, but they're, well, because uh, little is the wrong word, but a whole bunch of amends in which, I did specifically, I said some things that were really not nice to some people when I was younger. And I remember them. They're, they're little bits of shame that I feel. Um, and I haven't seen some of these people for 40, 50 years. If I were to say to them, hey, remember me from 40, 50 years ago? Uh, you know, I remember that one moment when I said this to you. I didn't mean it. or I, I did mean it, but I shouldn't have meant it or something like that would be, I think, harmful. Uh, to go to a person and say, I did the following 25 things to you, X, you know, X, Y, A, B, C, D, E, you know, and I said this to you and I did this to you and I did this to you, is to reawaken, uh, I would say, generally speaking, would be more harm than good. To say, I didn't get out of the relationship sooner might be more appropriate, or even to say, I do not think our relationship was healthy, and I am sorry for any part I played in it, uh, might be e- even healthier. 
but to revisit the past in detail is not necessarily, is probably not a healthy thing. Uh, so my, my general answer is pray about it, meditate on it, talk to a sponsor, talk to someone who's had experience with making amends like this, see what works, see what didn't work for those people, try and figure out the kind of words that can be said. Uh, if it finally becomes true for you that you must say something, pray, 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 whether you believe in a deity uh, or not. I, I don't, but I still pray because it focuses my mind on the issues. And go to sleep and wake up in the morning and the words, some words will come if you're ready to make those words. And the words, whatever they are, will be the right words for you at that time, at that place, in that moment. And uh, I don't have any better answers than that because I don't think there is an answer, one answer that fits all. Okay. It, it depends so much, it, and, and it depends so much on the relationship that one has with the other person. Is it ongoing? Is it not ongoing? Are you dropping into a past of one year ago or 20 years ago? Or you, you know, I mean, and, and what was that relationship like? How does that person hear? Maybe that person can't hear anything. You know, I mean, there are people who can never, there are people in my life who will start off disagreeing with what I say before I even talk because they know that they disagree with me. And there are other people who will agree with me whether they hear me or not uh, because they know they'll agree with me. And, and so some people can't hear very well. I can't hear well at times. You know, um, I use this example in some of the work I've done. Um, if, if a spouse says to you, good morning, and you say, what the hell did you mean by that? You've got a hearing problem. <laughs> and, uh, and we all do have that hearing problem at times. So um, it really depends on the situation, and there is no one right answer. I don't think anyone should tell anyone in this program that there's one way of doing it. I sometimes despair when I hear sponsors hear a sponsor saying, you must do it this way, or you must make this amend. I, I just... Uh, if you're not making amends that's deep in your heart, I, I just I just don't see that as in the spirit of what the big book is talking about, personally. Hope that helps a bit. Okay, thanks so much. Yes, it does. I appreciate everything you share, Lori. Thanks. Thank you, Cindy K. Marion H., star one to unmute your question, please. Yes, um, this is Marian H. Can I be heard? Yes. Yeah, thank you so much, Leah, and thank you so much, Laurie. Uh, I always enjoy um, hearing you. I've heard you before. Um, this is very difficult for me to what I'm going to say, and I, as I was waiting for my turn, I was going to say maybe I should wait uh, and get your number afterwards, but I'm going to talk about it because I've been hiding this for so long. Uh, I have touched on it, but not not very much. I was sexually abused as a child, and I have been told in the rooms that that's why I have not been recovered yet because I didn't fully uh, deal with that, and I touched on it very little, and that that is my question to you. That is that why I'm still not recovered? Okay, well, first of all, my heart goes out. Uh, that, that's the first thing I have to say. Thank you. Um, um, 
I, I, you know, in the rooms, there's no requirement to share anything. There's a requirement to share something with one other person at step five. And even then, that requirement is not to tell the horrible details, but to talk about the effect on you and to isolate your own defects of character from that, that have arisen from that. So, um, you know, my, it's an easy answer to say, if you haven't recovered, it's because you haven't fully taken steps four through nine. But that doesn't mean that you have to share to anyone or everyone what happened to you as a child. It's, it's, it's no one's business. Uh, but to be able to talk about it to someone and to work through steps four through nine on that issue, I, I would imagine is, is, uh, it sounds as if it's something that's very important to you. Yes. I, I never gone past step six all these years I've been in the rooms I've never gone to past, past step six well what's really important for you to remember is that you have no obligation to make an amends to the person who harmed you no, I, no well some of them yeah. I, they, they might all, all them be more, more than one person and might be dead yeah. I don't know yeah. but, but there's no obligation to make amends to people who have harmed you Oh, unless you feel that somehow you've harmed them. And if you don't feel that, if that isn't coming from your heart, you do not owe amends to them. But you probably owe amends to people who have been harmed as a result of, of what happened to you. Yes. Because that, the big book talks about that, about how we, are, we create harm in our own family through what's happened to us. Right. And the actions we've taken. And. And and for that you owe you owe amends, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to tell people about what happened to you. That might be traumatic to them. It might be harmful. You should be willing to tell them. That's step eight, but not necessarily tell them, because it's step nine. You have to figure out. Okay. You know there are some people. I mean, I, I I've heard so many stories of sexual abuse in the last um, seven years that I I suffer myself from some post secondary trauma. Uh, or secondary trauma, because I, I, I mean, I, I get, I get, I crumble when I hear of, of people being being harmed. Um, what kept me going was the feeling that I was of, of use to uh, to the people I was hearing, I was interviewing. But um, sorry, it was like a mission, but it, 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 it's all it's over now, and and um, uh, and and I can tell you that that um, even hearing this story can be harmful. Uh, so, so I, I would just encourage you to work through. I mean, stopping at step six is precisely um, uh, it's a terrible moment to stop, uh, but it requires you to sort of have the courage to go on. Well, first of all, step five is that checklist. When you have finished step five, uh, talking with another human being, yeah. the question is, are you delighted? No, but the question is, are you delighted? Can you look the world in the eye? Can you be alone in perfect peace and ease? Have your fears fallen from you? When I first did this, my answer was no. no. And my, my and my sponsor said, "Well, you've left something out. Go yeah. back and write some more resentments." And and so I did not go on to step six and seven until I could actually say, "I am delighted. I can look the world in the eye. I can be alone, a perfect peace, and ease. And my fears have fallen from me." And that required me to go through three more bouts of uh, writing more resentments and more fears uh, and sharing them at step five. I went through three cycles of doing that, adding to what I had already done. It took me about a month, 
And finally, the last time, I said, I am delighted. I can look the world in the eye. I can be alone at perfect peace and ease, and my fears have fallen from me. Then and then only was I able to whiz through steps six and seven. And say, oh, God, I want these defects of character to be removed. And then, and then goes through the analysis, what amends do I owe? And from what I'm hearing, you probably owe amends to, to family and friends. Yes. Uh, and, and, yeah, and, and, and that just means you're not going to let what happened to you as a child Continue any more to harm your relationships. Right, right. And that's that's and that that will be transforming when you think about it that way. That can be transforming. I wish you the best of luck in the under journey. Thank you so much, Larry. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you, Marianne H. Lori, it is currently ten o five a.m. Eastern Time. Do you want to take a few more questions, or do you need to bid yeah, farewell? No, no, I don't need to bid farewell. If, you, if there are more questions, I'm, I'm happy to take them. I, I okay. have budgeted until 9, 9.30, long, oh. as long as my bladder holds out. <laughs> okay, very well. Thank you. Okay, another opportunity to ask questions. You can do so by pressing star 1 to unmute. Please announce yourself, including the first letter of your last name. Jody G from Boston. Nancy. Bonnie M. Gina M. in Nashville. This is who I have thus far. I have Jody E.Q., Katie G., Nancy, I didn't catch the last initial, Bonnie M., Gina M. Who am I missing? Tara K. Tara K. Anyone else? This will be the last call for questions. Going once. Twice. Three times. Okay, everybody, please mute. Thank you. And let's start with Jody EQ. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Lori. What a great uh, idea this was, because this is such a complicated and challenging area of our steps. How to make amends? Um, when should we make amends? When shouldn't we? Thank you. Uh, my question is, how? <laughs> I've been in program 30 years, and... Uh, Early on, I made some bad amends that were harmful. Pretty, pretty terrible. How do I make amends for a botched amends? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have two, you know. And um, um, if you're not, I mean, I, I, my answer to any question like that, since you've been in the program for a long time, is do what I would call a step 10, and that is to do steps 4 through 9 over again in relation to that issue. So, you, you know, in step 4, we write down people, institutions, and principles. A principle is any fact that you wish were not true. So I would write down, uh, I made amends to so-and-so, and I did harm. I made amends to so-and-so, and I did harm, or it, uh, bad results occurred uh, in the resentment column. And then figure out why it bothers you, and then in column two and column three, how it affects your self-esteem, your security, your, or whether it affects your self-esteem, your security, your ambitions, 
personal sexualations and what fear is involved, and then work out where your selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. Now, as you do that, and then you work through the fear form and maybe the sex conduct form, the sex conduct form in step 10 can be more of a relationship form, not just sex conduct. Um, you would then figure out the, the distinction between the good motives and the bad motives. The bad motives are selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frightened. Your character defects are getting involved. You're confused uh, about what you should be doing. Once you get rid of those and you isolate them as character defects, the kind of amends you may or may not owe become clearer. I guess, you know, from a generic point of view, the amends you owe is to apologize to a person and say, I made lousy amends to you X number of years ago. How can I make it better? And the question is, what kind of harm will result? And if you haven't seen those people for 20, 30 years, my guess is let well enough alone will be the answer. Um, may not be. I don't know. Uh, we're, we're talking to a sponsor and all that. But I, 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 I get my answers by doing what I call a step 10. Now, a lot of other people call step 10, a big book compass call step 10 something else. But call it what you say in the evening. I consider that the step 11 uh, 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 inventory, which is which I think is different from step ten. Other people say you do step tens all day, uh, yeah, all through the day. For me, there comes a point where we have to, because we're restless, irritable, or discontented. As time goes on, we have to do a complete analysis of what's gone on since our last step nine, and whatever you want to. And that's step ten. That's at least what step ten is all about. So I put down every question or conundrum or problem I have as a principle under the resentment list, I follow it through, deal with the fears, uh, deal with the selfish, dishonest, and uh, self-seeking, and I get an answer that speaks to me at that time. That's, my, that's the only way I could give you an answer. I don't know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. But I've boxed up my own amends uh, at, at times, and I came to the conclusion, because I, I, I made one amends, and I got this answer back. I talked about it. That was totally unexpected, that no one in his or her right mind, would have imagined I would get. And I, 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 that happened twice to me. Well, once it, it, it was more probable that it would happen, but the other time it wasn't. And in both cases, I walked out with my head held up high and said, I did my best, and I am sorry that they have to clean up their side of the street. And I didn't do anything more. I was able to treat them with tolerance, pity, and patience. Did that help at all? Uh, yes, that's helpful, Lori. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Jody. EQ. Katie G from Boston, your turn. Star one to unmute, Katie G. Perhaps you got pulled away. We'll come back. Nancy, I didn't catch the first letter of your last name. Nancy. Hi. This is me. May I be heard? Sorry. Okay. All right. Katie G. Nancy, thank you. If you could just wait. 
one moment. Sure. Thank you very much. Okay, go ahead. I apologize. Sure. Thank you both for your service. Um, Lori, I just was hoping you could comment a little bit. Um, I um, had a change in my psyche when I realized that I didn't eat or I wasn't, I didn't need Overeaters Anonymous um, and I wasn't an addict because of what happened to me. And it can be tricky because I used food when bad things happened, but I'm not a compulsive overeater because I was abused. And I was hoping you could, in your eloquence, address that, that, that better. Thank you. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, what defines a compulsive eater is a person who has, at least from a big book perspective, the uh, phenomenon of craving when we indulge in certain foods or food ingredients or eating behaviors, um, and who can't stop from going back to those even if we've been away from them for a while. You can't stop once you've started. You can't stop from starting. What has happened to us in, in the past uh, all informs how we interpret the world, but it's not the cause um, from a compulsive eating point of view. And, I, you know, I, I tell this story. It's absolutely true. My first three months in the program, I was really doing well, but I was going to this, this meeting, this very strong meeting where people had suffered incredible amount of pain in their lives and I had not suffered pain I've been a really privileged person in most of my life grew up in a very loving family uh, lots of lots of love uh, intellectual uh, stimulation and too much food um, and compared to a lot of my friends in the program whom I had just met uh, I you know I, I I was so privileged and I, I took my first meeting after three months and I apologized as I told my story that my story was not a story of horrible woe, you know, horrible tragedies. And uh, I'll never forget that, you know, as people began to share around the room, an old-timer, long, long-timer, AA as well as OA, said, you know, Larry, from those of us who have been in the gutter, you haven't missed a thing. And I thought, <laughs> I don't know what I thought then, but I'll tell you what I think now. He, you know, he was absolutely right. What binds us together as the big book says, what binds us together is that we have escaped a common disaster, which is our addiction. And uh, that's in the chapter, um, there is a solution, that not only have we escaped a common disaster, but we have discovered a common solution, the steps. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't, it is, you know, we, and, 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 uh, often in OA we hear it's it, well it is uh, OA talks about spiritually emotionally and physically sick and the big book talks about spiritually mentally and physically sick uh, and the whole chapter more about alcoholism is is designed in many ways I think to show that it doesn't matter why we go back to the eating the answer is we go back to the eating for whatever reason whatsoever our mind gives us the excuse that it's okay to indulge in the ice cream or the, or the French fries or, or whatever is our particular, our, our particular binge foods. And uh, we shouldn't forget that, that our mind will find us excuses. And yes, the fact that one suffered horrible trauma as a child is a more believable excuse than the fact that, um, I don't know, I was, I was rejected by, by my grade five sweetheart. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's much more understandable that one could spend a lifetime trying to live through uh, the trauma of a, of a horrible abuse uh, than the minor things that have happened to me in my life. But 
you know what? That was as good an excuse for me. Uh, and sometimes there are no excuses other than they made it for me especially, or it's healthy because it's got, you know, it, it's non-GMO and it's gluten-free and I can have it. And, uh, um, you know, it's my birthday and I can celebrate. Or, you know, uh, today was a particularly good day, so I'll celebrate. Or, you know, everyone else is eating, why can't I? Uh, whatever the reason in the chapter more about alcoholism, it's pretty obvious that there is no good reason. Even horrible traumas aren't a good reason. So I really appreciate your bringing that up. We don't, we, we, we focus on reasons that appear reasonable to us at the time. And certainly trauma appears more reasonable to me than whether it's, I don't know, gluten-free, just as an example, uh, or looks healthy or something. But it, but what binds us together is that we have, that we suffer from the double whammy. Can't stop once I've started. Can't stop from starting. Thank you. Is that, is that what you want? Katie G, is your question answered? We'll take that as I well. apologize. Yes, Lori, fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Nancy, your turn Hi. now. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is Nancy C. Uh, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I have made amends to... Um, everyone that I had on my list. And now in listening to your presentation, I recognize that in doing those amends, I didn't deal with the effects of the way my behavior um, affected me and how I treated my family and friends. Um, I didn't talk about that at all. And I don't mean the abuse that happened, but the effects of my behavior. And I'm wondering now, do I need to go back and make more amends to my family and friends um, for some of my behaviors, or is making living amends in the way I deal with them every day adequate? Thank you for your, your help, and thank you for your presentation. It, it was thank very eye-informing. Thank you. Well, I, I don't have a, a, an easy answer. The answer may be that you do nothing more and just continue to live uh, life differently, or, and the answer may be that you talk to them. Um, I, again, I would say that's a step 10 issue. That's something that you write out as a resentment. I don't know whether to talk to them or not about this. Or uh, I don't know whether simply living, my men, uh, living a different life is good enough uh, as a resentment because these are principles that you wish weren't true. You wish you weren't worried about that issue. And, um, and then you work that through until you get to steps eight and nine. Um, it... it you may decide no, you know, and one of the tests is, are you restless, irritable, and discontented? Are you, are you okay with life? Uh, has the obsession to, uh, to go back to the food been lifted from you? Can you be around the foods that used to beckon to you and not want them? If, if you don't feel a spiritual irritation or, you know, the beginning of a spiritual problem, maybe it's okay. Maybe all you have to do is pray about it and wait for the answer in the morning. Pray about it at night and wait for the answer in the morning. Um, trust that it will be revealed to you or do a step 10 on it. There's no easy answer. I mean, I have never sat down with my family. And, you know, I, certainly when I st- embarked on this journey, I, I didn't sit down with my family and discuss all the ways in which I've, I, I, I felt that my behavior had harmed them. First of all, my kids were pretty young. And it would not have done them any good. I certainly have done it with my wife, but over the time. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't have, there's no answer to the question. There's only a, a method of getting the answers, 
using steps four through nine, which I call step 10. Thank you very much. I call, I, I'm sorry. I call, yeah, I call it step 10 because I've already recovered, and so I don't do four through nine, but I do do step 10. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I guess that answered it. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Nancy C. Bonnie M, star one to unmute. Your turn. Hi, this is Bonnie M from Peabody, Massachusetts. I really appreciate this um, service today. It is a very difficult, touchy subject uh, for most of us um, as, you know, we have harmed others. Uh, I, for one, you know, um, not as a child per se, but as in my marriage, you know, 24 years in an abusive uh relationship behind doors and look good to everybody else, you know, in the world. And um, because of that, and, you know, I turned the other way, I looked the other way, I let my abuser do things that were not good, and um, I ate over it, you know, just to, to squash those feelings. So in going through these steps with my fabulous sponsors that I've had over the years, I've made my amends to my abuser and my children and <clears throat> people around me. But, you know, and I feel really good about that. I feel really good that, you know, taking my side of the street for not speaking up and for letting this person, you know, continue. And uh, I just didn't know how to, didn't know how to speak up. Now I do. I have boundaries. I'm so blessed. However, I am a uh, compulsive ruminator. I, I like to sit and think <laughs> and dwell and, and hash out. And, uh, you know, that gets me in trouble, too. So I'm thinking, how deep do I need to go with this? Because abusers abuse others who abuse others who abuse others. And, you know, one addict can affect hundreds of people. And, you know, I feel I've made my amends to those close to me, but then I feel like there are others I need to make amends to, and I'm not quite sure, you know, where, where to draw the line on that, um, you know, uh, so I don't know if you can add anything to that, if you understand what, I, what I'm talking about, uh, I'm sure if you do, um, and other people. Oh, I've, I've been, <laughs> Thank yeah, you. I, I, I live, I, I think too much, too, <laughs> I love that constant ruminator, that's, that's really well put. Um, and I, I, I certainly think too much. And uh, one thing the big book tells us, and one of the promises we get at uh, step 11, that if we do our, if we pray and meditate, we will be able to act more through intuition and reliance on the connection we have with our higher power uh, than we used to. And so I have found that to be true, but I also find I think too much. Um, and sometimes um, I, I just have to stop. You know, I, I, um, my answer to the specific question is exactly the same as my answer before. If that really bothers you, that you don't know whether you have to do any more, that's a step 10 issue. That's a resentment that should be put on a step four piece of paper as a resentment, along with any other resentments that may be going on, other issues in one's life that may be going on, and you work them through in column one and column two. You work them through in column two. Why, why do these things bother you? 
Of column three, how do those things that bother you affect your ambitions, your self-esteem, etc.? And then figure out what you've been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. And if there's any fear involved, as there most certainly will be, uh, I'm afraid of stirring up the past. I'm afraid of doing more. You know, uh, I don't want to do any more step work. That would be fears. You would work that through. Would your higher power have you be? And then if there's any relationships, not just sex conduct, but relationships, issues as a result, you put the people down and you figure out where, where did I go wrong? What should I have done instead? And that's where your guidance will come. As you work through with step five, you work it through with, with someone who hears your step five. If you feel delighted, you can look the world in the eye. You can be alone in perfect peace and ease. Your fears have fallen from you. You say the step seven prayer, and then you go right out and you figure out what harm did I do? What amends do I owe? Will I harm them if I make amends? And I've got to tell you, at these complex issues, re-raising issues that are best left forgotten are often not worth making, that they harm rather than help. It's complex, not always true. Sometimes you do have to make amends. But sometimes rehashing old things reawakens problems that are best solved by living a better life. But I, I, there's, no, there's no right answer there. Does that make sense? I appreciate your perspective on that. Thank you so much. It does make sense. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, Bonnie M. Gina M., star one to unmute. Good morning. Good morning. Um, thank you so much for the uh, the incredible uh, insight. And um, my question today is something that I've been struggling with in step nine is that, you know, like being teased as a child for being fat and I got angry at those children and I've gotten angry at people who have wronged me and retaliated. And that's, you know, what, in one way or another, whether with terrible treatment or terrible behavior I feel like I was wronged, and so I'm going to wrong you back. And I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm really struggling with those amends because what's underneath it is a huge resentment. And so I'm just wondering how you deal with that. I, I mean, that certainly has happened to me. So I, I, I can speak from personal experience there. Um, well, um, if the individuals. If the anger is still there about those individuals, that's what steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine are all about. As well, uh, since a resentment is anything you wish weren't true, uh, you might put down not only the people who harmed you and maybe the people you harmed as a result of being harmed, but also uh, the fact that you have an automatic retaliation mode that you keep uh, going back to. That you can, uh, another principle might be you continue to be angry over things that are in the past. You know, it doesn't matter if there's any overlap. These are different issues. One is the person, the other is the principle. Um, and I would say you work that out in steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, and the answers will come as to what you do about them. Certainly your anger will be released. Um, or it should be because when you get to the point in between column three and four about the people uh, with whom you're angry, the bullies, um, or the people who made fun of you, uh, it, 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 it will become clear how sick they were, and um, and you will understand, you will gain some tolerance, pity, and patience for them, um, even though they may never have asked you for their forgiveness, and you don't have to forgive them, but you certainly have to accept that what happened to you happened in the past, and that you can't afford to allow 
that to harm other people. That, I don't know if that makes any sense or helps you at all. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it does. It does make sense. Looking at their looking at their illnesses really kind of helps and says, okay, well, they had their own problems, so yeah. Yeah, and, and page 552, if, if you find that, that the discussion of um, on page... Um, uh, page uh, 6667, the prayer we on page 68, we ask God to help us show the same tolerance, pity, and patience. We would cheerfully grant a sick friend. You don't have to cheerfully grant them. You cheerfully granted a sick friend, but, but you don't have to cheerfully grant it to these people. Um, uh, if that doesn't work, then there is page 552 where you pray for people to have everything you want out of life. And if, if you've reached this stage of spiritual development, I don't think there's any question that what you want out of life is going to be something like what I want out of life, which is serenity, uh, an ability to be useful in life, and the ability to love and to be loved. And once you pray for people who have wronged you to have those things, it will take a moment for you to realize they don't have those things. Uh, and and that will give you that same that sense of tolerance, pity, and patience that that you need. I mean, you, you know, it, it, it is so um, it is so clear that people who harm you, who are sick in their lives, do not have what you want out of life, and and therefore they are living a sad life from your perspective. I hope that helps. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Gina M. Our final question for this morning comes from Tara K. Star one to unmute, please. Good morning. You can hear me, I think? Yes, very well. Okay. Oh, wow. I, all I can say is you answered so many of the questions that I would love to have asked um, for a long time and have asked. And I got really some great answers and uh, insights. So I do have a list of questions, and I'm going to ask one of them or maybe two if you let me. Um, I think maybe this one comes up for me with sponsees the most often. And it's, well, I'm first going to kind of preface that by the quote in the big book, we simply tell them that we are alcoholics, alcoholics, and then I forget the rest of the quote, but that's in the process of making an amends. It says that. Um, yes, and then, we're not so over our drinking. We will, yeah. yeah. And um, we will not get over drinking until we make things right. Okay. The question is, so I know that there are reasons to tell people and to not tell people, but I would love your comments. Uh, on, on whether we tell people that we're compulsive eaters? Yeah, compulsive uh, eaters, restrictors. Yeah, or... Well, I, yeah, I, I would, um, I mean, my, my answer is I generally follow the big book, uh, unless to do so would injure them or others. So some people would use that against me, I suppose. Uh, and I, I, and I, I might not. But uh, generally speaking, I, I would say, I, I don't think we have anything to be ashamed of by being members of a 12-step fellowship who acknowledge an addiction and are trying to do something about that addiction. And I think it's time that we be as serious about our addictions as other people are serious about them in other 12-step fellowships. 
Uh, it is an admirable thing. It is something to be respected that a person recognizes an addiction and is doing his or her best to deal with it. And, 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 and it is it's a solemn and serious thing to say, I suffer from an addiction. I am trying to overcome it. I, and one of the way, the only way I can do that is by making up for the harm that I've done in the past. I did you harm. I want to make up for it so I can change and become a better person and deal with this addiction. And I, I, I think it, it uh, yeah, sure, there's some people who say, ah, it's just food. You know, I, I have some friends who are drug addicts, and they say, ah, it's just food, you know. Well, too bad. They don't understand how serious it is for me. And I got into this program 100 pounds earlier because a good friend of mine who had been in the gutter in AA uh, before he joined AA told me that I should take my food as seriously as he took his alcohol. And that gave me permission to join OA 100 to 150 pounds earlier than I might have. And I thank him to this day. Um, so it's, I don't see any wrong. I mean, I, we're so embarrassed by our addiction, and we shouldn't be. It's a horrible addiction, and it kills people. And, it, and, and it, it'll kill all of us earlier, before our time. And as we go through this addiction, um, whether we're undereating or overeating, we are going to be demeaned and debilitated and more dependent upon other people We'll lose parts of our body. We will lose parts of our minds. And, and it, will be, it will be horrible, and it, it'll be a death by a thousand cuts. Sure, it won't be as dramatic as, as so many other uh, fellowships uh, have drama. But it's horrible, and I don't think we should be embarrassed to talk about it. As a matter of fact, how else are we going to spread this fellowship if we aren't honest about who we are and why we're doing things? And fear should not be a factor. So that's my general answer. On the other hand, to some people, you wouldn't say that because they're sick people and it would mean nothing to them. Okay. Did I help? Yes. Can you still hear me? Yes. Yes, I can. Now I can't. I'm sorry. I accidentally touched the star button and it made me um, mute and unmute myself again. Um, Let's see. That brought up the question where you started to say, well, maybe it'll harm me. And I think that's addressed there, isn't it? That yeah. we, that we don't take, we don't look, make that a part of the equation, whether yeah. I'm going to be I, harmed. If you heard me say it would harm me, I would, I would, I would not say that. Uh, the, the only, uh, that's not an issue unless to harm me. Like if, if I say to a person, I'm sorry, I didn't go to the police to tell you to, to, um, to tell them what you did to me, I'm now going to go to the police, and that person then assaults me or puts me in a position of danger. That puts that person in a position of hurting himself again. That's the only time I would say harming me would harm them, and it would be wrong. And, and also harming me would prevent me from helping other people whom I could help. So I, I, I don't put myself into danger. Why would I put myself into danger? Because a whole bunch of people who depend upon me would be harmed if I put myself in danger. So, um, you know, I take care of myself. Taking care of myself would be useful to other people. I don't shirk for making amends if, if it would cause me some emotional difficulties. Uh, but, boy, I mean, I, I've, I'm not guilty of murder, but, but um, it is always a conundrum that people have if they've committed a crime that would cause them to go into jail. And they have a family and they've lived a life. 
and they owe something to their family, if they went to jail, their family might starve, if they're the sole breadwinner, then, you know, it's a conundrum. It's a difficult issue. They have to work it through. So that's, uh, that's all I meant, if, that's, if that was your question. Um, also, like if someone, if you tell someone who maybe you've worked, you're working for that you're a compulsive eater and maybe you're in a restaurant and you could then, you know, like that person, well, that's again, the being fired. Um, but if you don't have family or whatever, or you might go to jail and it does say we can't, we can't shrink at anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But on the other hand, you don't put people in a position where they do more harm. So if someone could use something against you and it's of no great value to say, then, I mean, if, if, if you accept the concept that doing harm to others harms you, harm, you know, if a person does harm to others, that person harms his or her sort of soul, if you want, then I would say you, you, don't, uh, you, you, you don't allow them to harm you. That's what I would say. It's a complex issue. Thank you. That was really great. That last comment about, you know, that harms them to put them in that position. But um, I, can you talk about the bracketing of pride on the third column? Um, you know, like they uh, bracket fear. Yeah. Pride, yes. Uh, fear occurs more than once. Pride occurs only once. And the guy who put the forms together decided that pride would not go in there. Uh, if you want, put in pride. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I, I think, I, I, you know. I do think I mean, you're confused about what it means to some extent. Oh, pride is, covered. pride is, a, well, you see, you know, interesting enough, Bill Wilson, not interesting, Bill Wilson wrote a great essay. It's available in, his, in the book Language of the Heart from AA, which is an OA-approved literature. Um, he wrote an essay on pride and guilt, and he says, pride is the other side of the coin of guilt. To say I'm the worst is no better than saying I'm the best. And, uh, and I think that's true. We are one among many, a friend among friends, a worker among workers, a member of the family. And, um, and that's what Bill talks about in the AA 12 and 12. And so pride is feeling that we're different. Uh, uh, it could be guilt. It could be shame. It could be pride. Uh, it's all the same. It's feeling that we're different. It's that concept of what they call terminal uniqueness. You know, we kill ourselves by thinking we're unique. I don't know if that helps. Oh, great, great. Thank you so much. It was terrific. Thank you, Tara Kay. Thank you to everyone who posed questions this morning to Lori. And, Lori, thank you for this thorough, compelling, and important presentation this morning. Your service is always greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to close from page 164. You'll find it in your big book in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. 
give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.